There, there were no technical difficulties if I edit this correctly. places of where we are in the COVID. Um, we're, we're in Micah and Charlie's apartment and in my apartment and Bigel's awesome garage with all the awesome scooters in there. <laughs> yeah. COVID where are we in, in this whole situation, Bigel? Do you remember? You're official timekeeper, I think. Hmm. I want to say this is Corona, uh, CoronaCast 17, I think. Um, let, me, let me double check and make sure. 17 weeks. Yeah, I think Yikes. that's what it's been since we've been uh, in in our uh, respective quarantines. Yeah, let's go for eighteen. Yeah. <laughs> you can do we were, it. We were doing so good, and then like Fourth of July happened. It's like, oh fuck it, we just get sick. Who cares? The vi- yeah. just, like the virus. Well, everything started opening up, and then like nothing like shut down again for Fourth yeah. of July. Yeah, right. That well, I mean, was- I, I know everyone wants to hear and talk about the coronavirus because <laughs> <laughs> information anywhere else. Right, exactly. Any it's- other form of media. Let's talk, let's do <laughs> one hour Corona cast. That's all we talk about is like epidemiology. All right, I'll pull my numbers up, you know, that I've personally been recording. I have my own <laughs> personal data sheet. <laughs> You can't trust that's, the government anymore. That's the sound of people pushing stop on the podcast. <laughs> what, what are you drinking, Charlie? A Mai Tai. Yeah. That's these beautiful Mai Tais. Look at them. It's got like a lime, and that's supposed to be an island, and then the mint is a palm tree. <laughs> Very cool. So we Fancy. haven't even got to who's here yet today. So I'm your host-ish, Knock. Uh, Emma's going to join us in a bit. She's probably stuck in traffic again. We've got Bagel here. Corona living. Yeah. Charlie? Never buy one of my motorcycles. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. And Micah? I bought one of his motorcycles. <laughs> <laughs> what did you learn? <laughs> what did you have to do to it once you bought it? Oh, it's many, many things. <laughs> yeah. Really nice day today. Lots of riding people out and about. I mean, it was pretty busy as far as just like crowds moving around, but in the hills, lots of motorbikes. Uh, I managed to uh, go on a real long supermoto ride and did all the fun, super tight, twisty stuff, and my shoulder still sucks. But aside from that, you know, it was nice to get out there and uh, get some air and get some bugs in your face, you know. But uh, how, how are you guys? What did you guys do today? How how'd the garage do? The garage is good. I mean, there wasn't like a ton of people, just kind of like your normal yeah. or whatever. What, t- what time did you show up? We came at 11. We came oh, at okay. 11 because I was asked to babysit and make sure everyone was mer- wearing their masks, which I <laughs> did. Excellent. You're, you're the enforcement arm of the situation. Is that what it was? We came to babysit Emma because Emma wasn't <laughs> going to do any of that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, when you think of tough and scary, I'm the face you picture. Right? Sure. <laughs> Especially when you have your motorcycle head. gloves on, when you have your fighting gloves on. Yeah, except for I have Helamont, so they look like marshmallow hands. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like bright silver. <laughs> <laughs> they look like, like, like stay puff marshmallow hands. Yeah. yeah, exactly. 
Nice. Yeah. So, like, uh, what, what did you do with your bike? You, you installed rotors. So, yeah, what's what's the fiasco? Are we going to want to, like, start at the beginning of this whole situation? How about, <laughs> yeah, because where we left off. We could start at the real beginning where I realized I had six-year-old tires on the bike, which isn't that bad, but then they started yeah. exploding. Yeah, they started delaminating. They yeah, started they, chunking they started, off. Yeah, they started chunking, chunking off, and I hadn't ridden these tires for, like, 4,000 miles I was bad at not checking the date code, and that's my fault. Um, but <laughs> I wouldn't expect them to delaminate like that at six years. Yeah. Well, I mean, they were kind of like 50-50 knobs, 60-40 knobs. Yeah. We were some dirt or whatever, but they they weren't – I mean, they were Shinko, so they weren't like a super expensive tire. Yeah. Um, but I noticed that and bought new tires – and I had actually noticed they were six years old two weeks prior to them delaminating. So I bought tires, and they never showed up in the mail. So then I went to Cycle Gear and bought the only tires they had that fit my motorcycle that how were much matching. You lose, so how much did you lose that on, on tires that you didn't get? Well, you spend? So like I spent $400 on some Dunlops. And uh, dude, that's tires, The tires that – and then those tires were like four years old already. Yeah. So, you know, and then those tires I did order showed up yesterday. What, where were they? Jeez. They showed up ele- only 11 days late, but, you know, that's Corona. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um, yeah, so oh, then I next. also was, thought installing new valve stems was a great idea. And big shocker, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> Is it how, well, the you- super, how the Super Tenere has the – it's spoke – it's a spoked tubeless rim or whatever. So it has, like, this – like edge on it or lip or whatever. Yeah, it's got an inner lip that's like parallel, right? It's like two little fins. Yeah. Guns and there's like a notch, like a metal notch or whatever of that lip for the valve stem on the rear, um, where the front tire has like a chalice or like a, a channel for it, so it fits a lot better. So there's a metal valve stem in because I also thought getting an angled valve stem would be trick as fuck. Especially the ones that that go like on a car tire. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. So I put on the front. Front's fine. Put on the rear. Like, cool. Rode home. Came out next morning. It was flat. Yeah. And then we proceeded to take the tire off three times, try to fix it, and gave up and put it okay, in normal first valve. Of all, it's not just like we installed the angled valve stem into the rear tire. What did you do? <laughs> this is the part where I'm like, I'm going to hand this off to Charlie really quick. Were you talking about me grinding the valve stem to make it <laughs> <laughs> What? Okay, so I I wanted to make it so the top because it had like a basically a metal washer like welded onto it. Okay, sorry, the the valves. Okay, for the audience, uh, at the base of the valve stem, there's like a little flange where it meets the tire, and that flange is too wide to clear. uh, This like metal tire or center of the wheel. So, (laughs) so and it wasn't sitting right, so it kept leaking out. So we were trying to decrease the diameter because it was just like a washer basically yeah um it sounds like a very recycle fix <laughs> yeah. well and i was like cool because then there was still like the rubber washers on the top and bottom and you know of course that didn't work so i'm going to tell you right now don't do it it's a bad idea um, <laughs> charlie were you were you grinding off the the sides of the washer that goes in in the inside of the rim no it was on the outside on the outside okay so the, yeah. what was weird is the inside part had a great seal. I mean, I, I guess not, but 
you know, it was just odd. And like, so the next, so it held air totally fine. We checked it for leaks and came out the next day was fine. Came back from work. It was fine. And then we came out to go check the mail and we just heard it hissing air. <laughs> and it was coming out of the base of the valve. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's weird. So, yeah, rubber valves. That was great. Um, and then also in the process of taking my tire off three times, I um, destroyed my rear brake. Yeah, because when we installed the rear hub, what happened, Charlie? Um, well, well, a couple of things happened. I accidentally. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Many mistakes were made. The first mistake, <laughs> which isn't the most relevant part here, but it was metal on metal with the brake pads and. We already knew about that and had all the parts ordered. But I act, I went brake pad, brake pad, rotor, piston. Yeah. Oops. So then I went and did a test ride and hit my rear brake and heard all the bad sounds you don't want to hear when you hear your hit your rear brake. <laughs> <laughs> and then I rode back to Knox House and then we had to figure out how to cheat the system basically yeah well see this thing when when people do work in my garage i i make it a point to make sure to leave the tools out and tell them to go for a ride around the block for specifically reasons like this because sometimes we have assembly errors where you know the brake pads um sandwich themselves uh not in the proper way yeah between the brake caliper piston anyways and and so you rode home that's not just across town right that's over the hill, right? No, no, it's across town. Oh, no. oh, it is. Oh, okay. Yeah, we, well, we, we live together now in... Oh, right. But, okay. so, well, we disabled the rear brake. We took it off. We zip-tied it to something, taped the fuck out of it. But okay, hold on. Go back, go back a second. Oh, why couldn't the, you just put... The, the wear is such on the brake piston where it was, like... It's so cockeyed. Like that is angled and it almost made it uneven. So, if it actuated the rear brake, it could seize it. Yeah. So just take a, take a step back here. So so you're saying that you wore down the piston inside the caliper. Yep. Yeah, because the piston was happened. touching the brake rotor. And, the and brake how pads scooted over away. I rode like I rode like a block. I hit the brake pedal like once and it yeah. ground out like a quarter inch of material. Really? Yeah. Wow. Well, because it didn't like come back. It was like it kept the pressure on it. Yeah. Well, and you have oh, to remember wow. too, like his bike has link brakes and ABS. Yeah. Right. Like, but I. It's the front. Well, so then now I'm coming back and I'm having to use my front brake to stop the motorcycle and get yeah. back to Knox House. I was actuating it too, probably. Right. But I'm just amazed that it it ate up the piston that quickly. Yeah. Wow. Jeez. I mean, we well, could have put the brake pads in there, but it wouldn't have been a good idea because it would have, you know, contacted the brake pads all cockeyed and weird, and it would have probably seized in the barrel. Seized the right. There's like there. 10 different things that made it unsafe to have yeah. that brake assembled. But I like what <laughs> wow. we did to kind of like, you know, avoid um, to how we disabled the rear brake. We... <laughs> We sandwiched some aluminum in there and then the bad brake pads to make it to where when the you actuate the brake, it just squeezes onto that. Yeah. So it can't yeah, like so pop out. In lieu of uh, actually mounting the calipers to the caliper mount, we just kind of stuck it and taped it on the side of his pannier mounts, <laughs> shoved like pieces of aluminum strips and the old brake pads to fully make sure that when the brake pad or the brake cal uh, caliper Sorry, when the brake piston does come out, it hits the material. And it, it sounds really come out any further. It is. 
was that? It sounds really janky, and that's because it is. Yeah, we just basically decked out the, the pistons and just shoved a bunch of material in there so it wouldn't push out. Yeah, and then like and, uh, trucks in the shop right now, so this is the only vehicle I have that <laughs> ride to San Francisco every day for work. Yeah. Wow. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I'll tell you, it's, it's been fine. Um, yeah. And yeah. I immediately order a new piston, and I have a new rotor, and I have new brake pads for the rear and the front. Um, I got everything in the mail yesterday except for the piston. So uh, today I put a new rotor on. I put a new front brake pads on. I like serviced and sanded my rotor and everything. Yeah. Um, so all the brakes are legit except for the rear. All the brakes except for the rear. So we got two out of three. <laughs> we got two out of three, you guys. <laughs> Take that as a win. Two, two um, calipers out of three ain't bad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and I mean, it's all temporary until I actually get the part and then it's going right in and then I'll forget I ever try to kill myself on that motorcycle. Yeah. But you but, did replace like your front brake pads and uh, a new rear rotor, right? Is that what you did today? Yeah. Cool. Um, yeah, that was pretty straightforward. Yeah. Everything worked out. Um, nothing crazy happened. Um, and then I mounted some trick ass Baja designs lights to my motorcycle. Yeah, they work. I saw you were still working on them when I left. I mean, did you, did you get those things on there? Yeah, no, they're they're on. They're done. Um, it's possible with the front wheel bottoms out that it'll hit them. <laughs> okay, well, you'll find out soon enough. Well, yeah, it, it we'll was figure where that out later. <laughs> there were some lights that were there before that were basically the same size. And just how I ended up mounting these, I think it's a little bit lower, so... It didn't hit the old ones, but I think they're like half an inch lower. Okay. Well, the mm -hmm. old ones were mounted underneath the front headlights, right? They're just yeah. right underneath. And yeah. So it's, it's directly above the fender, basically. Oh, okay. Yeah. But it, but it's like you'd have to bottom the bike out for it to yeah. hit. So and it's really hard to test if to bottom the bike out. Yeah. Without actually yeah. bottoming the bike out. Huh. Well, um, that's cool. Well, yeah. We'll, that's we'll probably fine. <laughs> we'll find out soon enough. Ah. Uh, tires again like every time i go to the garage I, I like do this thing where i look at people's tires because i'm a weirdo like that yeah <laughs> and sure enough i see jeremy jeremy showed up with his supermoto and uh i see this shiny thing sticking out of his tire and i go oh, i think that's a brad you know like a little staple or something yeah. and i'm telling him hey uh jeremy i think you might have a thing stuck wow. in your tire and and it, there's always this gamble where you you is it did it go all the way through or is it just sticking yeah, right yeah you know? and it's holding air right now right it's holding air right now yeah, and then right? you're like well if i cut it off uh it's just going to keep burying itself deeper into the tire and he's got tube tires so like if the brad stays in there even if the air is holding like that brad will probably shred up the inside of his tube you know yep. so pulled it out sure enough it was a complete puncture but it was a slow one. Yeah, he wasn't happy about it. <laughs> well, well, luckily he's that. not riding too far. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's gonna pump it up to get home. Did he say he was gonna get a new tube or? Uh, I think he's gonna get a new tube, but I'd imagine if something that small, he could probably patch it. But yeah, you could totally. Yeah, I think he's gonna it. patch it. But like, if the tube's out already, a tube's not that expensive just to replace. And it's, yeah. yeah. Well, they're they're not that not as cheap these days, it seems. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, so. unless he's running like heavy duty supermoto tubes, which are a little bit more spendy, but like, yeah, 
I guess it'll be all right for him. I don't know. He, yeah. I guess he lucked out, you know. Uh, I've had uh, punctures where I was in the middle of nowhere, and like you can just you, 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 shit you can do. You're you're too shredded, your tire shredded, and you got to call a truck or whatever. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Buddy. yeah. Oh, what else? Oh, John. Uh, did you know what happened to the John's oil filter? What's the story with that thing? Like he hit his bash plate on some. He had an SV650. Oh yeah. No, uh, versus a V-Strom or whatever, right? V-Strom. He hit his bat. I think it's a factory bash plate, so it's not like it's a super tough one. Yeah. And I think he was like riding somewhere. I think he was camping or something, and he bashed it on something, from what I recall. And I never actually saw it. I just like kind of heard what was going on, but I think he like split it in half or something. It was crazy. Yeah, I think he hit his bash plate onto his oil filter and. this is what's crazy is he like JB welded it. Yeah. JB welded it and it worked. It leaked, it leaked, but it was like the leak was slow enough to where like it wasn't yeah. a problem because like he patched it from the outside and that's like an oil filter. There's a lot of oil pressure behind that thing, man. And right. it lucked out. Yeah. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, it's enough to get home. Thankfully, yeah. you just buy some more oil, keep some JB weld on you, and you you ride home until your oil light comes on. Yeah. I got yeah. halfway through the country with JB Weld, man. That shit's awesome. <laughs> Quick steel. I think it was like the, the putty, not JB Weld, but like the putty that you mix up together. Yeah. yeah, I like to keep the putty on me. Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. Cool. Good for quick repairs. Yeah, and I, I use JB Weld on my uh, my Vespa P200 when I put a cylinder kit on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because uh, it's a two-stroke, and the, the transfer ports are shaped differently on the cylinder kit. So what I ended up doing was uh, cutting out part of the case where the transfer ports needed to go, and then I filled in the parts of the original ports where the where the where the ports weren't needed anymore, and you just, just use JB Weld for that, and it worked great. I just kind of shaped it and carved it with a <laughs> uh, with a Dremel, and uh, yeah, ran ran like a charm. Did you did you tune your ports with JB Weld? Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's the hot rod shit right there. Yep, yeah, it's just shaping it just the way it needed to be. And is that motorcycle currently running? No. <laughs> but but i do want to get it running again uh, it's it's been uh, it's been on my mind a lot lately yeah 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 well um mike i'm glad you're here today because we want to talk about some cool shit that you did a couple days ago absolutely uh, you want to talk about your first of all we'll talk about your second track day yeah absolutely so yeah. i um won a track day uh z2 give uh z2 track days as well as a um, independent uh, writer um, who and racer, I think, whose name is Miyoko Moto on Instagram. Um, she was doing a giveaway for women writers um, for a pair of free track days. So I found out on Monday night um, at like 9 p.m. that I won the giveaway. And by, let's see, by like 10, I had a ride set up to get there. Uh, uh-huh. Yeah, absolutely. And so I packed up my stuff and uh, I talked to Aliki, who is the owner of Venom Sport and a Z2 instructor. And she helped me uh, get my bike up there because she has a decommissioned um, ambulance. 
that she uh, bought from Thunder Hill, actually. Does it still so, have all the markings on it? And like, yeah, it's, it's rad. It's super rad. She, she made it into like a little camper, kind of. Absolutely. She That's crossed awesome. out the paramedics, because you can't have that on there legally. But yeah. the rest of it looks exactly the same as it did before. And the lights are uh, still on there. And you can't run those like on the street, but the lights still work. The sirens were taken out, but yeah. um, it's very, very freaking cool. So... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> She brought me up there, and I got to ride track on Saturday and Sunday at Thunder Hill, which was extremely fun and extremely hot. Yeah. Yeah. That's an oven up there. Um, Absolutely. Uh, so you, you were there two days, you said? Absolutely. So um, I the only track day I've done before is uh, I did one in August, I think, of last year, um, which was also Z2 track days, and that was my very first C group, and I... Uh, I don't want to say I wasted it, but I spent the whole day riding for fun and not really taking the time to learn. This is the first it. day or second day? This was last year. Oh, um, oh yeah. My very first track day. I spent the day um, riding for fun and not really paying attention to my skills, um, just trying to learn the track and have a good, positive ending experience and not crash. Yeah, yeah. Um, this year, uh, so last year, I was told that I uh, was the second slowest person on the track, which was fine. I had a great time. I loved it. Um, it was an awesome first track experience. But this time, I really, really wanted to prove that I'm a little faster. So uh, my very first session, um, or not the very first session, because that is led with the C group in at Z2 because they have their novice school. Um, but my first open session, I passed five different people, and that was such a cool moment. <laughs> nice. Yeah, absolutely. So it was it was a really great pair of days. I uh, Z2 is awesome in that they have a lot of instruction if you want it. Yeah. Uh, they do have classrooms all day, which was a little bit harder with um, Corona because everyone had to be outside and stay six feet apart. Um, so it was a little bit harder to hear, especially because um, we would have classroom when a group was going out. So you would hear people trying to talk about this is the line to take take through turn five, and there would be <laughs> real track experience huh exactly yeah. every few seconds from a group going by um so i spent a lot of the time uh working with individual instructors so when you pull up to the pits you can say hey i want to work with an instructor and tell them what you want to work on and they will follow you for a couple laps see what you're doing and then help you out with it so i grabbed an instructor on my i think it was my second or third session of the first day um, but I said that I really wanted to work on my body positioning. Um, and so I think my instructor was, yeah, Bill was his name. Um, he followed me around for two laps and I did what I've been doing so far where I've been moving the top half of my body off the bike, but I really struggled with getting my bottom half off. Yeah. Yeah. And I've heard it all in classrooms before and I've seen videos, but it never really clicked for me how you're supposed to move your bottom half of the body off the bike and having him go in front of me and like over accentuate every little move that you're supposed to do to get off the bike. Um, it helped me so much more than anything else has to this point on body positioning. And just in that 20 minute session, uh, my, I felt my skills measurably, uh, measurably improve. Yeah. And I got faster 
I got more consistent. I got smoother. Um, and I came off that uh, session and it was immediately the lunch break right after. And I was just smiling from ear to ear. It was the best feeling. Right on. That's yeah. awesome. It's been a while since I've felt my skills like increase that much in that short of time. That's really something when you're a new writer, you feel your skills increasing so much so quickly. But when you've been writing for a little while, it's kind of harder to hit those new milestones where you really feel like, oh, yes, cool. I'm super I'm a better writer than I was a couple minutes ago or uh, yesterday. And this was definitely one of those days, which felt so good. (laughs) Yeah, and so, like, uh, the second day was pretty much the same thing. You kind of just did your sessions, took your lunch break, and got more instruction, kept writing. Um, Yeah, so the second day, I – so the first day, I actually skipped my last session. I did the rest of them except for the last session. And with uh, my track day beforehand, I had felt like since I paid for it, I had to do every single session. So it really Mm -hmm. uh, was – it felt good to be able to skip – the final session of the first day this time and not have any guilt about it. Cause I knew I was going to be writing more tomorrow. Right. I think two days uh, are really fantastic so that you don't have that like, Oh man, I just need to push it a little more. Yeah. Uh, and you don't have that yeah. like last lap, which is that first crash. Yeah. Um, yeah. We, I was going to say like with a lot of people, they feel like they need to squeeze in that last session in and it's like, if you're, if you're tired and you're not thinking straight, it's, it could be a disaster, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. But since I've been um, pushing it so much the first day, I didn't do quite as much the second day. I was pretty tired, and it was the hotter of the two days. It was about 100, maybe a little higher than that on the first day. And the second day, um, I heard that it got to about 107. Um, oh. So it was wow. pretty freaking hot. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, I was camping on track um, with my tent. And so, like, even camping, it was, like, 80 when we were trying to go to bed. And so that was oh, pretty shit. difficult to go to sleep in. Um, so the second day I rode four sessions total, I think. Um, and the final session was uh, one, of, one of the last ones of the day. And it was just, like, that really, really hot point of the day where I was, like, I got halfway through the session and I was, like, I need to get off track. I'm making mistakes and I need yeah. to stop now before i hurt myself and when, uh, you, when you say you were making mistakes what were, were those kinds of mistakes were you just not looking straight or not looking where you need to be or i was changes yeah i was um i missed one of my uh shift points that i've been doing mm-hmm. um and so i had to break a little harder than usual which uh sometimes can be positive sometimes can teach you where you can go faster mm-hmm. um but that one wasn't and i it freaked me out a little bit through that turn I don't remember what turn that was. Um, But I remember also when I was going down uh, turn six, which is a banked turn to the right, Mm -hmm. uh, down a steep hill, um, I was trying to do my body positioning and my foot, my right foot was too far out and I hit the ground. I I touched the ground with my toe and I was Mm -hmm. like, okay, I haven't done that at all the past two days. That is my cue to get off the track. I'm not able to continue this competently. And you just... You just become a lot less consistent. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And I mean, there were less riders on the track because it was so hot and because it was on the second day anyway. Um, But it was, it was still that point for me that I really knew I want to stop now and not push it because I don't want to have my last couple sessions end in a crash. 
Um, yeah, but it was incredibly fun. I really want to give a shout out to uh, Venom Sport, VNM Sport uh, gear. I That's Aliki, my friend, owns the company. Um, and the gear was fantastic. So helpful. It's cooling and compression. And I got off the track in the middle of the day and I <laughs> took off my uh, leathers and I felt cold when it was over 100, wow. uh, which was incredible. They're Fantastic. Incredibly right. worth it. Super good. Super, they're super duper. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you, we were kind of like talking at the garage how uh, um, how at certain turns you started your, you, you know, the bike started talking to you and you started to understand what it was starting to say. Like you were saying that your rear suspension was wallowing and like at one point you kind of learned to ride around the, the limitation of your suspension. What was that like for you? Yeah, so I didn't feel it. I've had a GPH suspension work on my uh, stuff for a bit. So I, and I did that very early when I got the bike. I knew that I'm a little bit of a princess when it comes to suspension. I like the good stuff. Yeah. Um, so I, it wasn't a problem for most of the turns, but coming um, down turn five into turn six, which, which turn five is pretty sharp, and then you go down um, a hill immediately flipping from a left down the hill to the right. Mm -hmm. um, and my, the rear end was just, yeah, wallowing is a good well, yeah. word for it. It was, it was swaying a little bit as I was mm -hmm. coming down. And that was the only real time where I felt an issue with my suspension. Yeah. And I've never really had that issue on the street. I think yeah. my suspension is totally tuned for what I've been doing on the street, which yeah. I take it a lot slower on the street. I never push it because I know that I don't know what's coming around the next corner. And and the suspension on that bike is really budget from the factory. And for most people, that's great. But when you start doing these higher speeds and things like that, it starts to bite you. And what we did to that bike is we just, I think we just threw in some cartridge emulators and we resprung it all for the correct weight. Yeah. Front and rear but or just the, the rear? The rear and well, the cartridge emulators make it like add preload to the spring. So I think it ended up working out to where we didn't need to replace the springs. Yeah, make it correct for our weight or her weight. Um, but the downside with the current suspension setup is there's no adjustability besides like preload on the rear shock. Right. So where if you had a really nice like Olin's or whatever, she could take out that wallow and adjust the like the oil rate and everything without actually modifying anything internally. Yeah. Yeah. But I, yeah. sorry, go ahead. But yeah, I um, if I had the, I know that catalyst uh, reactions, I think is what they're called. Um, they were around that day, um, and if I had a little bit of extra cash, I would have gone over and had them mess with my suspension a little bit. Mm -hmm. But that's something else about track is that it's pretty track or uh, pretty cost prohibitive. Um, I'm a student, and so in addition to just the price. Oh, 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 oh shit. Sorry. A cat walked on the key. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was Noodles making her presence known. Um, <laughs> but uh, in addition to just the price of admission for the C Group Track Day, um, there's camping, there's uh, getting up there with gas, there's food, there's um, anything else that I want to do to my bike. If I were to crash, all right. of those get very expensive very quickly. I didn't have a um, 
proper zipper on the back of my jacket because in C group you are allowed to have two pieces but you need a zipper connecting them and so I had to uh, get a get Motoport um, who made my pants to send me a zipper that I could then sew onto my jacket myself right. um, and I had to get a really quick shipping so that I was able to do this in time so all of these okay. like little things become pretty expensive pretty quickly and Motoport was awesome with all of that. Oh, they're absolutely. Such uh, a good company. And they make yeah. such good gear. And it, yeah, I, I just called them asking for what size zipper they use um, so that I could try and find it around town. And they heard my story and immediately were like, hey, if we can get it uh, out to you, or if we ship it right now, we can get it to you by Thursday when I was leaving on Friday. Mm-hmm. So they were super, super fantastic. With and that. like, I don't think they charge that much money for it. And it was like, it was yeah. just awesome. Yeah, totally. Right? But it's, it's pretty cost prohibitive for a student like I am. Yeah. Um, so and- it was really cool to be able to go and uh, share a lot of the costs with a friend and have the track days for free gave me an experience get got me on the track this year which probably wouldn't have happened otherwise well so all you gotta do is get super duper fast and get like a tire sponsorship and yeah. get a track sponsorship <laughs> and it's really not that big of a deal and then you start winning some races and like people just start giving you money and you're you all know, set what's, yeah, what's that's funny, my next plan <laughs> what's, what's so, funny about motorcycling is like the the more competitive, the faster you go, and the the more specific your training becomes, the less utility it has. Like, yeah. because you're going super fast, but you're not going super fast on the street. And you could kind of use those skills. You could use those skills that you learn on the track, but you're not, you know, going a bajillion miles an hour on the street. It's absolutely. Like, yeah. yeah. So I felt my um, skills increasing, but. I am not going to use any of the skills that I practiced this weekend on the track other than the basic motorcycling skills uh, on the street. I am never going to go the speeds in which that I'm going to need to use that form of body positioning on the street because that is not ever going to be safe. I am never going to have all the turn workers working for me. I'm never going to have um, the proper conditions. In the ambulance and like no gravel or no deer or not a telephone pole. Yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah. So, I mean, even the skills that I was practicing this weekend, those are very specific to track. Yeah. Yeah, I, I noticed your tires are all shredded up, too. That was pretty dope. <laughs> yeah, I got rid of my chicken strips because yeah. tires. I feel so happy. I'm very proud. <laughs> it, it sucks that, like, university is doing you're, – you're, you're, you graduated already, didn't you? No, I will be uh, hopefully next year. Okay. Yeah, I was about to say with distance learning, you can't roll up to the uh, the campus with your shredded ass tires and park it just like some some loser rando yeah. giant chicken strips. You know what I mean? On an, on an FZ six. Yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> well, so actually, next uh, not this coming up week, but the week after, I'll be doing my instructor training. Oh, that'll be dope. So that'll be pretty cool to be able to yeah. walk up with my shredded ass tires. Yeah. Like looking as terrible. Oh as yeah. No, I was just I was just doing some parking lot practice. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and it Dude, feels especially good uh, to hopefully instill some boys with ponytail syndrome. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, that's the hope. That's always the yeah. dream. <laughs> nice. So, oh, another thing. Speaking of teaching stuff, you also yeah. helped develop a curriculum for uh, first rides. I didn't and, help uh, develop it. I wrote it. Yeah. Oh, there. You, that's yeah. There you go. You wrote it. 
I wrote it. Oh my, it developed? it all it, I don't know, whatever. Like you, you did the thing for them. Yes, absolutely. Um, so <laughs> our next segment is where we're going to talk about Micah and her, her curriculum for First Rides. And uh, the people who don't know, First Rides is a nonprofit organization that gets people who are uh, mostly economically disadvantaged to go and start riding dirt bikes and getting them introduced to the world of motorcycling. Mm-hmm. And so our, our current um, students are all children. We work with ages 5 to 18, but our intention is to someday increase that when yeah. we have the ability to and have some adults join us as well, probably the families of a lot of children who we mm-hmm. teaching. Yeah, so um, First Rides, we've talked about it a little bit uh, on here before with Clay, who was the founder of it, um, but we started first or when clay started first drive so we started having classes we worked with uh garahan off-road training and Mm -hmm. garahan uh taught a lot of it and we were us as volunteer instructors um basically helped him out with it as much as we could but we've also been wanting to develop a curriculum a little bit based on what our students are doing because garahan um does a lot of racer training and though he does work with new students a lot of his stuff is uh, for students who want to continue doing this and we our focus is really just getting uh, any students who want to learn how to ride motorcycles onto bikes and just like get them going in a circle get them like started help them get it done safely absolutely I feel like uh, once you get on a bicycle as a kid, like I remember getting on a bicycle as a kid and I just wanted to go everywhere on it. And I just, I kept eating shit, but I like, it was still too fun to, to give up. And if, you like, keep I, going, you keep going. Yeah. If you can get that attitude in the little kids, I, I feel like you can make them like a resilient adult and have fun while, while doing it, you know? Absolutely. That's, that's huge. Um, when we have students who crash in class, um, our intentional first reaction is to celebrate. So they crash and we start clapping. We go, yeah, you just crashed a motorcycle. How cool <laughs> is that? Um, really because we want their reaction to be like, oh, okay, that was awesome. I can totally continue doing this and not see us run over and uh, ask if they're okay and have them be like, oh, okay, I'm supposed to be scared. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so I wrote the curriculum and I've been working on it the last couple months and Finally, yesterday, we were able to have our first official class trying all that out. So we had four students, and Clay has a little bit of property in Boulder Creek, so we were able to use uh, his property um, to do that on, and the class went fantastic. All four of our riders were amazing. The class went better than I expected uh, as our first run-through with that curriculum, but we also got some really great tips on – great feedback on how we can improve that. So I'm really excited to see where that continues. Yeah. Can you talk about uh, what's in the curriculum? Like a couple of examples of what, what they did, like drills or uh, really training drills or what's, what's involved? Yeah. So we start the day by doing a, a little bit of classroom and we just try and get them on the bikes as soon as possible. Right. Um, and then we have them like locate all their controls and get them start to start riding. And they basically do some circles with, we try and get one-on-one instruction. So they have um, a lead teacher who d- teaches all the classroom and says all the stuff to everyone. Um, but they each have an instructor that they work with individually throughout the whole day. So they can really learn to trust this instructor. So their instructor moves uh, 
around the track with them for their first couple exercises where they'll walk beside the bike. So they're just learning how to uh, super smoothly and gently um, pull on the throttle and uh, use their brakes and use both brakes at the same time. And um, none of the bikes that we used yesterday had a clutch, but if we were teaching older students, then we would have had students who had to practice their clutch skills. Mm -hmm. And then um, later we work on, uh, so we first start with uh, just how the motorcycle works. And then we work on how to turn the motorcycle and how to stand. So we really want to try and get them standing and shifting as soon as possible, um, which it worked for. So our older students usually are able to stand quicker than our younger students. If our young standing on the pegs or like standing on pop strap. Oh, okay. Yep. Standing on the bike, standing on the bike. Yep, absolutely. Because yeah. we want to do that as soon as possible because it helps increase their traction, the way that they're moving around on the bike. It'll make mm -hmm. it a little more comfortable when they're going over uh, actual trails in the future, and it can help them steer a little faster if they're steering a little bit with the foot pegs and using their weight. And yeah. it'll help their body positioning. Just It'll force them to, even if they're not intentionally trying to look ahead and look where they're going, it forces their head to keep a little higher and their eye, eyesight to, or eye line to stay a little higher. Mm -hmm. So then after we've done those uh, shifting and standing drills, we try and do some cornering drills where we talk about looking a lot and we try and get them to start practicing vision skills. Um, and we really have this separated for the specific reason that we don't want to have them uh, early in the morning get that cognitive overload, especially because our students are so young. Yesterday we had a six-year-old, an eight-year-old, and a 10-year-old, and a 13-year-old. So our six-year-old and eight-year-old, when we were doing our first classroom session, which is about uh, was about 20 minutes, I've already cut it down since then, mm -hmm. um, but that they were totally getting glassy eyed by the time that we were finished with that. And in classes that we've had before, that section has been a lot longer. Um, so it's, it's really useful to get them writing as soon as possible to make them actually understand what we're talking about and not just have it be like, okay, cool. The ladies in, uh, in front yeah. of the class talking now, whatever. Um, and by the end of the day, we have uh, some, uh, fun stuff where they can do some free riding. We do slaloms, we do figure eights. Um, if they want to, they have the choice of doing a going over an object drill, though they don't have to. And that's only for students who have uh, graduated to that. And we're, uh, we are able to help them do that safely. Um, if the students haven't been able to figure out shifting and standing, then we'll have them just do free rides and stuff like that. But the focus at the end of the day is really the fun stuff. So they get to work all day and then play at the end. Cool. Yeah. Right on. And uh, wait, how long was, how long was the, the entire class for that day? Six hours? So they, uh, let's see, they start at uh, nine and we end at three with a half hour lunch break in between. Well, that's like an actual school day. Yeah, yeah, totally. That's pretty awesome. Very yeah. cool. Yeah, it's super fun. And we just actually on Monday, we got our custom Venom Sports in from uh, Aliki, which is awesome to be able to show up with our names and on our jerseys and everything, sporting our first rides, which is cool. Right on. Well, awesome. I'm glad. To, and so, like, uh, we were talking about this earlier. We're like, the, the product that you made, the rollout was nice and smooth and it worked out. You didn't have to make any adjustments and... Yeah, so we had to do a little bit, but that was mostly based on the course rather based on the curriculum, which right. 
felt fantastic for me, um, especially ha having it be a volunteer position. Um, I don't get paid to do any of it. The yeah. kid asked, like, do you guys get paid for this? And I was like, nope, just to see you guys ride. That's all we do this for. Mm -hmm. um, and so to have it go off so smoothly, it felt like such a like that, that was the payment for all the work that I've done for this is just yeah, to watch yeah. the kids uh, get those big smiles. And we have about an 80% success rate. Um, but yesterday was our first class where every single student who came in uh, succeeded and rode all day. Because like a lot of kids, it, like some kids might be like their parents are the ones that are really pushing them to do the class because they ride and then they aren't necessarily into it. And then they don't yeah. Get into it. And all the students, all the students who want to ride, end up uh, riding throughout the whole day. It's just the the students who uh, don't finish our course have only been the students whose parents have brought them, and they are completely uninterested from the beginning. Right. Yeah. 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 So it was in incredible. It was super fun. Uh, especially our six year old. She took a little longer to get her on the bike, and as soon as she did her full first full run through the driveway she had this giant smile on her face it was awesome <laughs> yeah, yeah. Excellent. It's, it's always cool to have your ideas like become real it's that 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 connect between an idea and a thing happening is it's, it's like it's almost magical you know like whoa i, I did this like it, it it's very cool absolutely yeah i mentioned a little bit earlier i'm doing my instructor training for cmsp in the next couple of weeks and this make uh, just makes me remember how much i want to do this and all yeah. the work that i'm doing towards instructing is so worth it where are you getting your training where are you go going for this um, I'm going to go to Vallejo. Total Control has about four instructor trainings per year, and you have okay. to be uh, sponsored by a location. So I'm sponsored by Pacific Motorcycle Training, um, cool. which means that they say that I can take the course, not that they pay for it. Right. Um, but they are a cool area or cool teaching location in San Jose who have been incredibly helpful throughout my instructor training process. So, yeah, right. I'm really excited to start working for them. Say sorry. Say that again. I said I'm incredibly excited to start working for them. Right on. Um, were you? Uh, are you think you'd be working with Isaac at all? Yeah, Isaac and I will actually be doing my first shifts. My first two shifts together. That's awesome, man. Yeah. That's yeah. so crazy. How long have you been riding total? Do we remember what, what's what? Thirteen years. No, not thirteen. Um, four and a half, and I've done about twenty-four thousand-ish miles in that time. Nice. Those, yeah. are, those are some quality 24,000 miles now, I gotta say. Yeah, absolutely. And I love taking courses. I take courses as yeah. much as I can. So I think that really translates to me being, hopefully it'll translate to me being able to instruct well. You've yeah. taken more classes than me. Yep, I love them. <laughs> well, you know, that's, congratulations, Micah, on uh, having a successful curriculum and getting your, getting the willies out on your second track day and like, putting your head down and doing biker shit, you know? Thanks so much. If you guys want to check out First Rides, it is firstrides with an S dot org. And you can totally like us on Facebook additionally. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good cause. Uh, Do you guys take donations? Is that, how does that work again? Yep. That's yep. actually uh, social media is how we get like 90% of our donations. So yep. if you like us on Facebook, think about sharing us too. That is super, super helpful for us. And there's, I understand it's starting to get, it's become really popular. You pretty much cl almost closed out all your classes or you've got a 
yeah, so our next class is going to be in September, and that class is entirely full. Um, and we just had our last class yesterday. So uh, it's entirely full for our next one, and we have a waiting list for uh, our next few that we'll announce soon. It's harder with COVID, and we have to have less students than usual with COVID. Um, but we're trying to continue as much as we can. And you can find more information at firstrides.org <laughs> in which – and there, there's even a page that has like after first rides and like useful like resources and things like that are that are actually legit. Yeah. So so um, full classes. How many kids you got going for the next one? We've uh, our next one is going to be six, but we've had between uh, our smallest one was yesterday, and that was four. Previously, we've had between five and thirteen. Yeah. Six. And it, like right now, it's kind of hard to have a larger class with all the COVID. So yeah, you don't want to have you know, 20 kids right now, or, you know, cause then you're bringing, you know, right. a 20 households and then there's right. not there's 20 kids. There's the parents. And that's right. You're, you're on this thing too, right? Charlie, were you there? Yeah, at the, you just yeah I'm there. Mm -hmm. I'm also on the board. Oh, okay. But, um, yeah. So donate money, <laughs> donate, donate, donate. Cause we need money to buy things like gear and motorcycles and everything. Cause it's not, all the classes are free, but we still need funds to do everything. So yeah. donate, <laughs> give us money to, to teach and like, the future of motorcycling. <laughs> so like the, the ratio of students to teachers is actually pretty amazing, right? You get six like, weeks, but like you yeah, have like three or four people just kind of keeping an eye on things and doing instruction or? It's usually at least one-to-one. -one. Yeah, our intention is to have at least one-to-one -one, uh, ratio. Awesome. Plus, if we can, we like to have extras as well because then we can have one person working with each student as well as some uh running the behind the scenes and running the range, making sure that we keep proper range. Control. So, and then, so basically each student gets one-on-one -on -one training with a specific instructor all day. So they're getting totally a ton of really good training. Right. And, on, and by, you know, and cause in the other classes where there's one or two instructors and 10 kids and you can't, it's hard to manage your time to teach everybody. And if one person's having a really hard time, yeah, and you're taking your time to teach them, but then all the other kids aren't, you know, so, so you guys would be willing to give advice for anybody else who would want to start an organization in their neck of the woods? Just go give you guys an email and, and you guys are... Absolutely. Yeah. After we did the uh, previous uh, podcast with you guys, um, we actually had someone email First Rides from, I think, Tennessee, uh, who said, hey, I want to start something exactly like you guys. How do I do this? Yeah. So if people want to start doing this in their areas, please email First Rides. We're happy to help you as much as possible. The goal is to create safer future riders, and we can only do that if we have people willing to teach them. Yeah. In well, resources. Donate, donate, donate. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so stuff. I guess this is kind of towards the end of, it, of the, the podcast, guys. Is there anything else you guys want to talk about, Bagel? Any new things you have been going on here? You haven't been talking much over there. Yeah, well, I haven't, haven't done a lot this week. Uh, I was thinking about tinkering with the electric bike, but I uh, haven't done anything with that yet. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, Hoping to get uh, get on getting some more stuff this week, but uh, don't really have specific plans yet. We'll see. Yeah. You guys been able to squeeze in any rides on the weekdays at all? I know Charlie, you're just working and you're just you know commute riding, but like, you guys have been able to squeeze in any fun rides at all? 
Yeah. We normally, I mean, we'll ride on Saturdays normally if we don't have anything going on. So we'll do like whatever. Yeah. I um, practice in the, on, uh, in a parking lot. Yeah. We've been doing that a lot too. Every oh, day. rad. Yeah. Well, let's yeah. talk about that real quick. You're doing like uh, cool. slow speed maneuvers and just like yeah. bike handling skills in the parking lot. Absolutely. Yeah, I do. Um, I watch some online videos about Moto Jitsu and about Jim uh, Connor. Jim Connor. So I've been trying to do both of those a little bit in some local parking lots that are empty right now due to COVID. And that's mm-hmm. been so helpful just on getting me super, super comfortable on my bike. And I've gotten, I've increased my skills a ton since starting to do this. Plus it's great exercise i'm covered in sweat by the end of it it's awesome everybody should do parking lot practice as often as they can because you'll get more confident and comfortable i was doing it on super Tenere, on supermoto and then i went dirt biking and i was just so much more comfortable leading the bike over which i was like yeah because it doesn't seem normal right because you're like counter leaning and you're doing this weird thing with your shoulder when you're like, yeah like, cranking your neck a little bit but like if yeah. you actually keep doing it, it just becomes natural when you do low speed yeah. turns, you know? Absolutely. And I've always struggled with uh emergency braking also um when i've like practiced it in classes just because i will start to grab on the brake and then i'll like leave it open a little bit and then i'll close it all the way mm-hmm. um so i'm working on really having a smooth grasp all the way through smooth and increasing yeah. uh, and just doing this i've lowered my stopping distance a ton since starting to practice right on yep, yep. it's, um, it's really useful i've i've been having a lot of fun with it Cool. Motorcycles are fun. I do all the motorcycles all the time now. Right on. <laughs> Pretty cool. So I found a really cool resource called lidpicker.com. Oh, yeah. You were telling me about this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Holler at that. The thing's super rad. You, you spend, it's like $15 or something. They send you this kit and you don't even need the kit if you have a, like a caliper or something to measure your head. But you take three measurements of your head, you do your normal circumference, and then you do your side to side, so like above your ears, and then your forehead, back of your head, and you write those measurements down, like send it to them through their website, and they give you this whole chart of just a ton of different helmets. Like basically, I mean, the, the chart's not as extensive as it could be, but it's realistically every helmet you'd want to buy. But I know figuring out your head shape is really difficult. And, like, I looked up a YouTube video, and the first result's like, well, what's your head look like? And you're like, well, fuck, thanks, guys. Looks like a head. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? um, I have struggled with finding helmets in the past because I have an at least extra small, sometimes extra, extra small head. So it's really difficult to be able to go places and try on helmets. And especially right now with corona, it's really hard to find uh, – <laughs> Yeah, a place to try on stuff if yeah. you even want to. Um, so that's and been a really useful resource. They take measurements of all these helmets on the inside. It's so like the side to side, front and back and everything. Um, so they'll tell you like what like their X and Y measurements are, like if it lines up with yours. And then it gives you like a chart of, there's a manufacturer like sizing chart. Yeah. So it'll tell you where you land on those helmets. And then it'll tell you if you're good with the manufacturer head shape. And it's not like, because your measurements can be a little off and everything like that. So it's not like a tried and true, like do this and it can be perfect, but it gives you a really good starting point to then go look at helmets and try them on, especially if you can't necessarily go to a store right now and try on a bunch of helmets and you want to like buy a helmet online and you have it shipped to you and have a good chance of it fitting right. Right. That's pretty cool. 
Oh. Yeah, another resource of uh, figuring out how your head shape is always nice. Yeah, like, uh, you're just one of those things where like sometimes you do have to try it on. Sometimes if you've got a resource like this, it might be you know worth your value and time or whatever to just get the kit. And, and it's it super easy and common for people to have the wrong size helmet. A lot of people will have an odd-shaped head, like a long oval or something like that, yeah. and they'll compensate by buying a larger helmet which then feels like it fits, but they don't know any better. And now they've ridden for 20 years with the wrong size helmet. Yeah. yeah. You know, and yeah, it's but... overall not as safe and they, you know, you just don't know any better. And like you go to any store and the people there usually don't know that much about helmets or the true fit or whatever. And yeah, it's just how it kind of is right now. But well, cool. Thanks for giving us uh, that that tip, man. Um, yeah, what, what was the name of that uh, that place again? It's called Lid Picker. L I D Picker. dot com. Mm -hmm. um, cool. You can so you buy their kit, and all it is is like a cloth tape measure and like a pair of wooden like calipers or whatever. Mm -hmm. But you could totally measure your head another way, like with a, a shoestring or your own cloth tape measure. Right. If you happen to have calipers or something, you could use. Yep. You can, and then you just, it's like $5, and you give your measurements in. Yeah, you're effectively, if for the value, you're just paying for their data collecting service. Right. Yeah. Totally. And they have public data posted. Like, they don't have the measurements posted, but they have, like, these helmets are rounder, and these are whatever. So if you feel gotcha. like one helmet already fits good, and you want to see how it compared to another helmet. Yeah, it you gets can. into the ballpark in terms of, like, head shape. Yeah, and, yeah, they're super cool. sweet and well thanks for uh joining us i guess this is uh this is it it's a good one hour show i guess um yeah emma couldn't make it she's still stuck in traffic so yeah sorry i'll be here any minute brother yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're barging in last minute here but um guys thanks for listening to our show you could find us on uh, motorcycles oh wait actually huh? we have some emails though before we go oh, oh shit that's right yeah. Edit that out. <laughs> Maybe Emma thought it was at seven. <laughs> She's gonna slam in the door right now. Uh, well, let me find my helmet. It's called bike came out different this time. Okay. So um uh, and so uh we've got emails. Yeah. We get out of here. Uh let's let's uh see what our friends and their people have to say. Anybody wanna go first? Uh, sure, I'll, I'll go first. Yeah. Um, I have an email from Jane Davis, and uh, Jane says, Hi, Misfits. Got a scooter question for Bagel. <clears throat> After getting into motorcycles and starting to ride, I got my friend Molly interested in the idea, and now she has 149cc Aprilia Scarabeo, nice. warming her up to a motorcycle. Now she can stick with a scooter. That's just fine. Doesn't it have um, the full-size wheels? What's that? Doesn't it have big wheels? It does. That is a big wheel oh, bike. I think that thing's rad. Yep. Yeah, they're good, good little bikes. Um, but she says at the beginning of the world going on lockdown, her scooter stopped on her while she was at a red light. Oh, no. She pushed it home and it sat in her driveway since then. I decided it was time we figured it out. So we started with a new battery this weekend. That got it running again, which uh, for both of us who aren't mechanically talented felt like a huge fucking win. <laughs> <laughs> but when you pull the throttle, the rear wheel doesn't engage. So I assume that means something is wrong with her final drive system. Uh, we want to give it a shot at fixing it on our own because honestly, the repairs are probably worth more than the scooter and it's quarantine and we've got nothing better to do. 
we're going to start by opening up the case that holds her belt, hoping that, that, that it might be snapped, and we just need to replace the belt. But I could also see it being some other bigger problem, and I'm curious to hear what your thoughts are so we know what else to look into. Uh, she mentioned that when it stopped running, it felt like she ran over something and heard a pop. Uh, it's interesting to me that at that time, at the same time, her battery died, though. She had been having issues with her battery before, so that no matter what, we, we knew she needed a new battery at least. I appreciate your thoughts. Thanks for all the time and Sundays you put into the show. I look forward to tuning in every Monday. Jane. Well, uh, thanks, Jane. And I think yeah. you're probably uh, on to a very likely culprit. Um, as I, if I'm, I'm going to guess, well, it, it all depends on, on how, uh, how old the bike is, but, um, but I'm guessing this is probably an early 2000s bike. And if it's low miles, I'm guessing the belt probably has never been replaced. So, uh, so that very likely could mean a broken belt. Um, one way to know for sure is if you look at the back of the belt case, there's sort of a, uh, an air uh, event uh, in the back of it. If you see little fluffy stuff coming out of there, you know you've shredded a belt. So uh, thankfully, those are fairly easy to change, um, but you do need the right tools for it um, and, and a little bit of mechanical ability. Um, but, uh, but I think it's something that uh, possibly with, with, uh, with help from, from a friend, if you know somebody who, uh, who has a little bit of um, mechanical experience, I think it's something that you, that you could probably do. Um, but you are going to need to take off the belt cover um, and you are going to need a, uh, a torque wrench. You're going to need a variator uh, holding tool. And um, I think you may also need a clutch holding tool. Um, so basically, it's the, these are uh, different tools that you'll need to hold the parts inside the, uh, the transmission in order to get the, uh, the, belt, the new belt on. Um, but I believe that there are some videos uh, online where you can look up that process, which would probably be really helpful for you uh, if you look, just look on YouTube. Um, and uh, there, I wouldn't be surprised if there's a video for a Scarabeo, but uh, if not, you could also look up a, um, a Piaggio LT150, which is a very similar bike, or even a, uh, a Vespa 150 uh, is not that different either. So, uh, so those, that would be my recommendation. Um, in terms of other things that it could be, um, if it's a pop and and then no 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 movement at the rear wheel, that's pretty much uh, going to be a drive belt. It, it sounds like it's me. Um, well, there is also if it's a pop or whatever, and the engine stopped running, is a big factor too. Yeah, I don't know if the engine if the engine stopped, um, but you just said that the rear wheel wouldn't wouldn't engage after that. Oh, okay. So, so I think I think the engine was was running, but but that would that would be my my first guess. Um, but if uh, if you get into it and find something uh, something more than that, write us back and let us know, and we'll we'll see what we can do. And with the battery, if it was already having issues, and if it was sitting for a minute before you got to repairing it, it could have just died because yep. it, it probably is an older battery too. Yeah. And and if there were if it was having issues already, you know, just just having it sit for a couple of days without being used could be enough uh, just to bring it down to a low enough voltage where it's it's just not working yeah. working well enough anymore. So, yeah, the battery getting a new battery, fine idea. Um, hopefully, it's a good quality one that'll last a couple of years. Uh, but uh, but yeah, that uh, 
that I think that's I think you're on the right track. Right on. Cool. Yeah. So thanks. Uh, thanks for your email, Jane. Good luck. Thanks, Bagel. Uh, okay, I got an email here from our friend uh, Mr. Donnie Jackson, uh, and it says, "Hello, gang. Glad to hear Knox doing well. Thank you, uh, Donnie. Appreciate it. I'm doing a lot better than I was three or four months ago. I'll tell you that Excellent. much." <laughs> yeah. I've explained in previous emails, me working on my 06 sports are usually ended with me taking it to the dealer to have it fixed. Well, I got rid of my sports and got a 2016 BMW R1200RT. Shout out to Mac right. BMW in Troy, New York. BM Trouble You. What would Emma say about that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, your dealership issues might not be over, but... <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> First thing I did was install a charger wire to the battery so I could keep it on a tender. My Sportster's original battery lasted 13 years, and I attributed that to a long life to being on a tender whenever it was parked. The installation worked even though you need to remove the body panel, and then two different securing harnesses for the battery to come out, and it was a very tight fit. Oh, yeah, that's, that's German engineering for you, man. Yeah. Yes, precision. Perfection, apparently. That's how that works, right? <laughs> well, you had to buy the BMW battery tender. <laughs> 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 then I uh, okay okay. Then I saw the rear crash bars from Wunderlich, 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 and that even came out well. So I may attempt nice. to work more work on the bike if need be, as I've gained a bit more confidence. You folks are great, and I look forward to the podcast and YouTube from Motorcycles and Misfits. Keep up the good work, and if I ever get out to the West Coast again, I will stop by from way upstate New York, sixty-five miles uh, south of Montreal. Oh my gosh. Wow. He's way up there. By the way of M-A-U-K-N-Y-M-S-S-E in Alabama. This man jumps around. He's been places. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Donnie, thanks for your email. Yeah, okay, congratulations on your new BMW 1200RT, man. They're great bikes. Yeah, and, congrats. Um, yeah, it's installing battery tender leads are always, it's always like hit or miss. Like I've been able to have pretty good luck with my bikes because I own older bikes and there's always just room and compartment to add other stuff let alone battery tender leads but yeah if you're, if you're the the teutonic variety you <laughs> you know well the older bikes is more uh thought put into people servicing their own motorcycles yeah sure. i guess i mean like and they're just simpler designs too yeah, yeah. you know just for straightforward the battery's just yeah. right there yeah you don't have all the abs system you don't have all the traction control you don't have the the magic smoke container that refills <laughs> your magic smoke as you go down the road right <laughs> but uh but even even the vespa gts is is a real pain to put a battery tender connection on <clears throat> because the battery sits down inside the floor like inside the hump so you have to basically either like route the battery tender cable out through the little center floor mat in which case it's like actually pinching the leads on it which is not yeah. a good thing or you have to try to route it out through somewhere behind the 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 floor so that's coming out somewhere by the engine so then you have to like zip tie it up somewhere underneath the frame and, and, not and a good it, right and you need a longer lead then because you're going you know through the frame and out the side so yeah. yeah it's just it's it's tough to put those in there sometimes yeah well it's, it's a good call though definitely uh, having a battery tender lead or that lead to the battery is, is nice to have. Cause, yeah. yeah. It's only going to make your life easier, but if you can't put it on because it's not yeah. designed in a way to let you, then it's not a big deal. And 
you can also connect it to your main fuse, like where the, the battery terminals go to, right? Yeah. That might be more accessible sometimes. Yeah, you sometimes. Don't have the leads off directly off your battery. You yeah, know, just be careful that it is a direct connection and not going through the harness somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm not endorsing anything I just said because, you know, wires <laughs> are complicated and I'm not an electrical engineer, but yeah. Yes. Yeah, so I have an email to read too. Um, this is from Mike who says, uh, who, oh, I think he's in Colorado. He says, hi, Misfits. I've been listening to your podcast ever since I bought my first bike, a 2013 Triumph Bonneville T100 a few years ago. I look forward to each week's show and always add it to the top of my queue. This year, I've started to get the itch for more adventure slash dirt riding and have even taken the Bonneville on some trails that it should probably never see. I have no idea what you're talking about. I know all about that. Never. <laughs> yeah. Um, I've been saving up for a second bike, a Royal Enfield Himalayan, since I absolutely love the look, price, low seat height, and balanced on and off-road capability. Recently, however, I was turned on to the Kawasaki KL250 Super Sherpa, and I'm absolutely in love with it for all the same reasons, especially the fact that I can afford one now versus next spring for the Himalayan. The nearest Sherpa I have found online is a mere 700 miles away, oof, but it looks to be in immaculate condition with 125 miles and listed for $3,000. My main concern is that those 125 miles were likely put on two, 20 years ago as it is a Model 2000 and has sat idle ever since. Fluids, tires, seals, and all. My question's for you guys. Is this a decent price for such an old, albeit low-mileage bike? Should I try and get this seller, a dealership, to include a full fluid and seal work before shipping or drop the price enough for me to do it? Or do I hope for something local to pop up slash keep saving for the Himalayan? Keep on keeping on, Mike. Well, so what I'm looking at now is the Royal Enfield, the MSRP is $4,500. So you're talking $1,500 more for a new motorcycle where the 20-year-old bike that's been sitting for 20 years basically has 125 miles on it, is going to need new tires, it's going to need all kinds of stuff to just in tires alone you're going to spend four hundred dollars yeah and with 125 miles that's basically like at the begin that's at the tail end of breaking in the engine um and has it been serviced after that it it would need a lot of work yeah you know, you're going to need to replace weird seals you're going to need to do the brake fluid you're going to need a, i think you're going to easily spend fifteen hundred dollars getting that bike roadworthy to where it's the price of the himalayan especially with shipping it yeah, and, and if it was someplace where um, where it was humid, you know, you could have issues with electrical corrosion. Um, you know, you're going to have dry rot on all the rubber pieces. Uh, you know, plastic may have gotten brittle in, in that time. Um, they could even run into wiring issues where you know, insulation is yeah. cracked. You is know, it even running right now? Uh, I guess. It's not I mean, even running. It's, I, you absolutely shouldn't spend three grand on it. Yeah, but I, if it's a dealership, it's selling a bike for three grand. I would assume that it's running oh, at the very I mean, least. At that point, if it's if it is a dealership, it might have new tires too. Well, find out if if it's if everything's been gone through, it's had all of the fluids changed, everything's been inspected and checked. It might be worth it if you really want that a bike that's that old. But if, yeah, if it is a dealership and they actually go through it, that bike might actually be legit and could totally be worth three grand. Well, but the I but, think. 
I'm still stuck on that it's 700 miles away. I think that's huge. I think yeah. that it's really important to see the bike before you spend that money, especially since it's kind of iffy with having 125 miles in 20 years. That's a bike that if I was going to buy a bike and it said 125 miles in that long of time, I probably wouldn't touch it. Um, but that is also me personally with what I'm willing to do and spend on uh, getting a motorcycle into running shape. Now, if you're buying like a brand new, as an example, Royal Enfield or any brand new motorcycle from a dealership and having it shipped over, like that's totally fine. You don't need to look at that bike. You know it's brand new. It's in a crate, whatever. Um, but yeah. you should look at any motorcycle you can that you're purchasing used to see if it's actually legit. I know I've looked at bikes and it, it, on paper it looked really good. And then you go look yeah. at it and all of a sudden these things start coming out and you're like, whoa. And then you back off or like, like yeah. So this, this, I'm sorry. The email said this thing is going to be a rider, huh? It's going to be like, he's going to plan on. He wants to ride more dirt. And I think he wants to do the whole ADV thing. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know about the long-term reliability of those particular bikes. I just don't know personally, you know. Um, for me, I, I'd probably look for a more established, at least known brand that or a bike that's been more loved. I don't know. I, I well, feel so like... this, this is a um, Kawasaki KL250 that he's thinking about uh, purchasing that's the 700 one mile away. He could also just wait and get the Himalayan. Which yeah. would be um, I think if he has three thousand dollars right now and he wants to buy some sort of dual sport or dirt orientated plated motorcycle, he could absolutely do that if he looks into other newer models that are used, yeah. put some bags on it or whatever. And plus, also the 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 Sherpa is a two fifty. That that seems a little small for an adventure bike. I mean, unless unless he likes small bikes, you know, I think he just hey, I think he wants to that. ride dirt on. Yeah. I think he wants more of a dual sport. Totally. Okay. I, my first bike was a, a GS500. I bought it um, in 2016, and it was a 1996. Um, 2016, I think. Um, and so that was 20-year old bike and it had 3,000 miles on it and I had problem after problem after problem with that bike starting with um, I had to fix a couple things that I didn't even I wouldn't have noticed if I hadn't brought Emma with me to check out the bike immediately and I couldn't ride it for a little while because I had to get new tires and no one would let me sit on the bike until it had better tires on it so that's something you won't I would recommend not even riding it until you've started doing some of the work on it that needs to be done, which sucks to not be able to immediately go ride your brand new motorcycle. And it might yeah. be old enough to not have a date code on the tire too. Quite possible. And at well, that point, actually, well, actually by 2000, they had date codes. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I was thinking it was a little, I thought it was a nineties bike or something. No, nope. 2000. Yeah. Oh. But uh, another thing too is like, where where did it spend those twenty years? Was it inside a heated garage? Great, but if it was outside in the rain and the snow and the ice and the sun, um, that bike's going to be in pretty rough shape now. <laughs> like if it was a crate motorcycle and someone opened it up last year and put it together, yeah, right. In, and indoor just, neglect is very different from outdoor neglect, <laughs> right? And yeah. and if it, if it was a crate bike too that was opened up and ridden one hundred and twenty five miles within the past year that's a totally different story totally yeah. So, yeah. it all depends on the details 
Well, in any case, uh, good luck with your decision. You know, yeah. I, uh, and if it, if you really want that Himalayan, just wait for it. It'll yeah. be so worth it once you get it. I and, think and, you have a much better time on the Himalayan. It's not going to break down and leave you stranded in the middle of nowhere like the twenty-year-old bike is. Um, I think you should ride the Himalayan and try it out because it is a Royal Enfield, and we've all heard mixed opinions on Royal Enfields. But for forty-five hundred bucks for a brand new bike, I mean, you can't. You could wrong. you could do a lot worse. Yeah. yeah, I think you can buy something like a D DRZ four hundred dirt model or a WR two fifty or like some sort of older plated dirt bike to do exactly what you're wanting and like put some bags on it, maybe put a better headlight or something, and you're gonna have a great time there too. And it'll probably be more capable than either of those bikes in the dirt. Right. Yeah. You know. So yeah, good luck, dude. There's other options, but uh, you know, yeah, like Charlie says, if you can get on get on the Royal Enfield, try it out if you haven't yet. You know, so and I I think Royal Enfield's doing all kinds of demo days for those bikes too, because they just came yeah. out. We're selling them, you know, and yeah. Hopefully, you'll uh, you live near a dealer that allows test rides, which would be pretty cool. But and you know, I yeah. think we know people have been riding them and they they like them. They're just I mean, it's a Royal Enfield, so it doesn't put any power to the rear wheel, but just yeah. kind of a tractor. And the dirt, that's not the worst thing, but no. if you're commuting on it, you might not like it. Yeah. If he's riding the T100, it's not like that's a super powerful motorcycle, too. So, yeah. Well, I guess uh, that just about wraps it up. I mean, I tried to get Emma on the line, but uh, I think she uh, didn't get my message or whatever. But yeah, sorry, so guys. Sorry you get to hear the, uh, the English voice. Miss Emma. You don't hear Miss Emma. Where was she oh. from again? Surrey? No, she's from Birmingham. 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 You don't get the Brummy voice today, guys. Sorry. No. Next week. She'll be <laughs> next back. Week. Yeah. Uh, I think That's, Liza uh, will be here next week, according to. Yes. The, yeah. So. Allegedly. Allegedly. Maybe she'll just get lost out there and just completely live van life. Right. <laughs> recycling cans and, uh, you know, recycling cans for, for, for dinner and hot pockets. <laughs> be the re recycling uh, RV on the road. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but so yeah, but, and that's, uh, I guess that's our show. And by the way, this is uh, COVID cast number nineteen. COVID cast number nineteen. Oh, we did make it to nineteen. Yeah. <laughs> <Yep. laughs> <laughs> oh, for COVID, twenty. This is yeah. COVID nineteen. <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> um, so if you want to find out more about us, you can go to the motorcycles. Admit. Uh, what is it? Motorcycles and Misfits .com. There it is. <laughs> you passed the test. Yeah, I win. <laughs> hey, if you want to send us some uh, some stuff, you can send it to a e, uh, recycled motorcycle garage at gmail.com. Uh, everything's on our webpage. Yeah, thanks for all of our Patreon subscribers yeah. for supporting the show and thanks, the garage. Guys. And uh, I guess with that, we're uh, you know we're out of here. I I'm Knock. Who are you guys? I'm Bagel. I'm Micah. Charlie. <laughs> I am Charlie. <laughs> oh, boy. And we're starting to lose our, our shit here. Where's Liza? We, yeah. I didn't realize there was so much thinking involved with that. Uh, well, you're used to people pointing at you, but when you point at me now, you're pointing at everybody. Yeah. Every, time, every time we do a podcast without Liza, I expect to get an email about what the fuck happened. This <laughs> well, 
The good thing is that no matter what we do, we entertain her, so that's good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there, there were no technical difficulties if I edit this correctly. <laughs> <laughs> I think you should just do it live. You know, people will enjoy it. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> live stream it from now on. All right, guys. Uh, let's, let's get out of here. All right. Get right. out of here. Cool, cool. Cool. Super duper. <laughs> wow, that was totally awkward leaving, too. <laughs> yeah. Way to go, Doc.